Hey, we've uh, recently begun a series that will focus our attention upon uh, issues relating to marriage and family. And to date, we've looked at what I would consider some of the more negative aspects of uh, some of the problems that are going on around us. To date, we've looked at 10 reasons marriages fail. And then most recently, we looked at uh, some of the problems or the harsh, cold realities that go along with divorce. And so it's my hope that having seen the extreme price that's to be paid when a marriage fails, that we'd be more willing to listen, maybe take whatever necessary steps to make our marriages and families everything that God intended for them to be. So today I want to head in a more positive direction. I want to give some insights into how you can actually enjoy your marriage. And, um, you know, for, for some of you, it may be a little bit more work than for others, but it, it's definitely worth the effort on all of our parts. And uh, really it becomes a question of enjoying or enduring. That is the question. You know, are you enjoying your marriage or are you just enduring it? You know, you're going through the motions, you're hoping that it gets better, or are you actually enjoying the relationship that the two of you have together? And uh, in fact, I got a question for you that I think is an interesting question, and we'll find out based on how you respond, whether you do or not. But let me ask you this question. If you're married, or if you're thinking about getting married, or even if you're just not too long ago divorced, let me ask you this question. Why did you get married? Now I know if you're having problems, you ask yourself that every day. <laughs> Why did I? That's a good question. Hey, and just, just so you know, there's a little glitch going on there with the lights. There's nothing that could be done, okay? So uh, some of you are going, what? I didn't even notice. And, and that's, maybe we'll deal with that, you know, becoming more observant in, in the world that you live in. But um, so, you know, try to blank that out, whatever. But why, why did you get married? If you're going to enjoy your marriage, I think that you need to understand why you got married to begin with. Well, well of course you were. Hey, we were, well, you know what, that, hey, we were in love. How many got married because you were in love? How many of you now don't even know what that means? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't even know. We were in love. Why do people get married? Because they're in love. Why else do they get married? Is it always just because they're in love? She had money. <laughs> and it was a lot easier to love us since she had money. Okay? Uh, for, well, let, let's clean it up a little. We'll call it that. For, oh, security. It was for security. Okay? We were in love, but she had money. But it was for security. It was for security. Okay? Why else do people get married? They're in love for security? For what? Companionship. Because, hey, you know what? No, I mean, I don't know too many people that like to be alone until they're married for a while. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, you know, they like to be alone. I mean, people, no one likes to be alone. Well, think about it. Even people that were married and then get divorced and then are alone don't like being alone. So what do they do? They get married again. Why? Because we want companionship. We need companionship. Why else do people get married? Uh, no, this is this crap. I know I have to answer this one for you because you're all thinking a bit. No one wants to say it out loud. It's to enjoy knowing someone in a biblical sense. <laughs> and I know some are going, what does that mean? Oh, well, to spell it out, it's called sex. For the, you know, the physical intimacy that goes along with it. I mean, some people actually get married because that's part of the package. All righty. Preach it, brother. All right, we'll get to that. Well, we will get to that, too, in the upcoming session, but maybe not so much here. So, okay, security, companionship, sex, 
family, to have children, to have a family, sex. It goes along with that, doesn't it? Kind of guys, hand in hand. It really works out better that way, but, you know, it could happen. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people get married. Some of them are good reasons, and some of them are childish reasons. You know, I've counseled and met with people that got married for some of the most childish reasons that you can imagine. And I like it. Listen to these, this is a, these comments are made by boys and girls 10 years old or under. And this is their perception of why people get married. Are you ready for this? Gwen, age 9. When I get married, I want to marry someone who is tall and handsome and rich. Oh, and hates spinach as much as me. <laughs> All right. Arnold, age 6. I want to get married, but not right away yet, because I'm not allowed to cross the street by myself. Steve, age 10, says, I want to marry somebody just like my mother, except I hope she don't make me clean up my room. <laughs> Good luck, Stevie. <clears throat> eh, well, he'll deal with it. Bobby, age 9, I don't have to marry someone who's rich. I just want to marry someone who gets a bigger allowance than me. All right. Raymond, age 9, says, first she has to like pizza. Then she has to like cheesecake. After she, and after that, she has to like fudge candy then I know our marriage will last forever. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, it, it's amazing to me. I mean, I laugh at that, but some of the people that I've met in premarital counseling, their reasons aren't much better than that. <laughs> they really aren't. It's like, uh, we're in love. She likes pizza. I like fudge candy. We're going to be married forever. That's all it takes, pizza and fudge candy. But you know what's amazing? Seneca, the Roman philosopher, wrote this. He said, you must know for which harbor you are headed if you are to catch the right wind to take you there. Isn't that fascinating? See, because one of the problems in so many marriages is that there are partners who have got together and they are setting off on this lifelong journey together, but the purpose for which they got married was drastically different. And they're heading in two different directions, and the wind that's taken them is taking them to two different ports, and it's no wonder that their marriages end up shipwrecked or destroyed and splintered into pieces. Because the reason that you got married, and it's an interesting question, you know, and it's one that as I thought about it, I don't even think that my wife and I ever really sat down at being married over 20 years, and I've never asked her, why did you marry me? Because I was afraid to. <laughs> no, no, not that. But it's, not, but it's like, why? Why did you get married? What was your purpose in getting married? What was your spouse's purpose in marrying you? You know, are you headed to the same port together? And if so, then great. But if not, you need to understand what direction that you're going. And it's critical. I, you know, I don't know what the purpose was for you to get married. But one thing that I do know is that in order to understand and to enjoy marriage, we need to understand purpose behind our marriage. Listen to this and listen to it carefully. A great purpose will lead to a great marriage. A great purpose will lead to a great marriage. But I want to tell you this, a not-so-great purpose will lead to a not-so-great marriage. I don't know what your purpose was, but I know this, if we have a great purpose, we'll be able to have a great marriage, and we'll also enjoy it as well. You know, what many couples lack are God's blueprints for a great purpose. You know, real, realistically, I mean, if you're having a problem in marriage, you know what, there are literally thousands of books 
that you can go to a bookstore and you can buy whatever book on whatever subject you want as far as marriage and family is concerned. I know, because I must have two dozen books that I've looked at, and the most amazing thing is that you get opinions that are so diverse and they're all over the place. What does it take to make a great marriage? What does it take to enjoy your marriage? I mean, there are dozens and dozens of books that you can go buy. There are counselors all over the place that you can go to, and regretfully, most of them are so busy with people coming to them because of all the problems that we're all having with marriage is that, you know, it's just like, it, it's unbelievable. It's a whole new industry in and of itself. And what I'm afraid that we're doing is that we're going to men and women and we're asking for counsel and advice on how to have a great marriage and most of them don't have a great marriage and most of them couldn't tell you how to get there but they're not ashamed to take your check and to help you think that they're going to help you get there but they're not there themselves. Why? Because we have gotten so far from the simple blueprints of what God has to say makes for a great marriage. And let me tell you something. God, you know what? You didn't have to pay anything to get here today. Think about that for a moment. It didn't cost you a penny to get in here. But if you go to a counselor, try that and see if you can get away with not paying anything. And I'm not saying there's not a need for them. All I'm saying is that sometimes the best advice in, in, in life is free. And you can just pick up the Bible and find out exactly what the purpose of marriage is. And it doesn't cost you anything but the time it takes for you to read it and then apply it in your life. And I think we just need to get back to some basics. How to enjoy your marriage. I'll tell you what, there's four purposes of marriage that God says. And you know what? I don't know. Consider me simple-minded or whatever. But here's the way I look at it. If God made us and God instituted marriage, then God probably has an idea of how it's supposed to work. It's, I mean, I don't know. It's just the way I think. It's kind of like, you know, if you go buy a car and the, and the manufacturer of the car gives you an owner's manual, chances are they understand what they made and what went into it and what you need to do to maintain it and make sure that it runs as it was designed to run, right? Well, what, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's owner's manual for us to tell us what God intended in the areas of marriage, for instance, and what we have to do to maintain it so that it works right. And that's all we have to do. Four purposes for marriage. If you want to enjoy your marriage... Write these down, understand them. We'll get in detail on each one of them, but the first one is this. God designed marriage to provide companionship for a lifetime. God designed marriage to provide companionship for a lifetime. God designed marriage, number two, to produce children or a godly generation that would grow up to love the Lord, and we'll talk more about that. Number three is God designed marriage to protect the character of the spouses, to protect the character and the emotions of a husband and wife from all the dangers that are in the world that we live in. And the fourth thing is God designed marriage to promote the contentment, promote the contentment in the, in the area of our sexual needs. I mean, those are four simple truths of what marriage was designed to do. And what they'll do is they'll give you a sense of direction, they'll give you a sense of internal stability, and they'll also give you the stamp of God's design if you incorporate these four truths in your relationship with one another. But before we look at each one of these purposes individually, there is a greater purpose. There is a greater purpose, a bigger picture, into which those four purposes will fit. And for the most part, I would bet that none of us have ever thought about this. I'll bet you it's true. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. 
You know, for those of you who aren't real familiar with the Bible, the book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. That's exactly what it means, the beginning. This is where God started a lot of stuff that, you know, we're dealing with here. And, uh, you know, this is the beginning, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of family, the beginning of creation, the beginning of all the things that God instituted or found right here in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see God's original purpose for marriage and to which these four purposes that we'll discuss fall neatly into. Why did God institute marriage? Was it just to benefit us? Or is there a greater purpose? In Genesis 1, look at verse 26. We read this. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The original purpose or design of God for marriage. Look what he's saying. That God created man in his image, in his likeness. He created him, male and female. See, God is saying, you know what? That God created us, and listen to this carefully. And he created marriage for the purpose of mirroring his image. That marriage, as designed by God, the great purpose above everything else, the greater purpose of, all, of it all, is that your marriage and my marriage will reflect the glory and the character and the person of God. Man. Stop and think about that for a minute. Now let me ask you a question. We'll go back to our original question again. I'll bet you, I'll bet you I could count on one hand the number of people who actually get married with the express purpose of saying, you know what? The reason we're going to get married, we may love each other, we may want companionship, we may want to have a family, we may want security, we may want all those things, and those are all good things, but you know what? I'll bet you I don't know too many people when they got married said this, you know what? The purpose of our marriage will be to reflect the glory of God. The purpose of our marriage will reflect the character and the person of God. The purpose of our marriage is to mirror the image of God to a world that doesn't see Him on a regular basis. To a world that cannot see Him. <clears throat> to a world that doesn't understand Him. To a world that is you know, hopelessly lost as far as the identity of God is concerned. But to say that our marriage will reflect God and when people see us and our love for each other and how we treat one another and how we forgive one another and how we, we're there and available for one another and how we meet one another's needs. And when people see us doing these things, they're going to say, why isn't our marriage like that? They're going to say, what's wrong with us? When we first moved to California, Linda and I were fortunate enough, we had been only married for just a little over a year, but she started to work in a company where there were people whose marriages reflected the glory of God. And at the time, we didn't understand that and we didn't know that, but I can illustrate it today because I can look back on it. And the reason it was was because we looked at them and said, why isn't our marriage like that? And it was almost to the point where it's like, is this even for real? 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever seen a couple that is absolutely head over heels in love with each other? They can't do enough for one another. If something goes wrong, they forgive one another. And they just, I mean, have you ever seen a couple that's like that? And you're not like that? It's like, that can't be true. You're getting me sick. I could just about throw up. I mean, they got to be making it up. Nobody gets along like that. See, we saw people that were like that. And then we looked at our relationship, and it was like, what's wrong with us? What do they know? What's their secret? What do they know that we don't know? What's going on in their life that's different than what's going on in our life? And I'll tell you what. Their marriages reflected the image of God. Because when Linda finally went out with one of these gals she worked with, she, she couldn't help but ask, hey, you know what? Basically, our marriage stinks. And we're looking at you, and we see your marriage, and we see how you get along, and we don't get along like that. We don't feel that way for each other. We don't even treat each other right. We don't talk to each other right. You know, and I was the biggest jerk that ever walked the face of the earth, so I know she was frustrated. And I was, you know, and I was doing things that I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know if they were wrong or right, but her reaction told me that they weren't that great. But I didn't care. Why? Because I deserve to be happy. I know how that went. And we played this game, and it was, it was miserable. I mean, she was packed and ready to move out all the time. She was sitting on her suitcases crying, but we had a little daughter that was six months old, and she didn't want to leave, and it was, it was a nightmare. It was terrible. And there was nothing good about it at all. And our purposes, while I'm not even sure what the purposes were, whatever they were, it just wasn't adding up. And so she goes out with this gal and says, you know, what's going on in your relationship? You know, what do you know? And the gal said, it's not who, it's not what, it's who. She said, Jesus Christ changed our life. Changed my life, changed my husband's life. He changed our marriage, he changed our family, he changed everything. You know, and I didn't know it at the time, and as I look back on it, the Bible says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God is central in your relationship with one another, unless he's the, you know, the tiebreaker of every situation that comes up, unless there's a standard greater than your own personal happiness, that you're not going to have a relationship as God intended for you to have. So there has to be some third party that intervenes, a mediator and everything. And then all of a sudden I find out through the Bible that Jesus Christ is our mediator between God and man. That Jesus Christ mediates for us the sin problem that we have to a holy God. And through his death and his resurrection, if we believe in him, then he'll make us new creatures and old things pass away and all things become new. And all of a sudden, man, not only did my personal life change, but my relationship with my wife changed. And see, what's, what's frightening to me is that there are many of us who are trying to clean up and fix up our marriage and trying to do, do it without the designer who designed it in the middle of all of it. And you're not going to be able to do it. I just save you a whole bunch of time. You're going to spend a whole lot of money going to counselors. You're going to buy a whole lot of books. But you know what? The root of all of it is simply this. Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have been crucified with Christ, as the Bible says, and that you no longer live, but he lives through you, that it's going to be hopeless. It's going to be a miserable waste of time. Because the principles that we're going to discuss throughout this series are principles that you look at and say, these are impossible to live. These don't make any sense. But you know what? If you trust in Christ, and you put your faith in him, then the things that we talk about will make sense. But until then, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because you won't have the power to be able to live it, to do it. And so we saw that in our relationship, and we recognized that, you know what, there was something missing in our life, and it just wasn't our love for one another or how to be married, right? But it was a greater need that we had, and that we didn't have a relationship with the God who created us. 
So as we both turned our lives over to him and said, Lord, I don't understand this, but I, I just trust you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for being the kind of idiot that I am. And I just trust you that Christ died for me and just do whatever you want to do. From that day on, our lives changed drastically. There's no other explanation for it. It's not psychological. It's not, you know, emotional. It's none of those things. I mean, it's, it's a real experience with a real God who cares about real people. So as we look at all of this, we begin to realize, you know, what our purpose in being married is now to reflect the glory of God, the person of God. When our marriages are everything that they're intended by God for them to be, people will look at you, be attracted to your relationship, and also then be attracted to the God who created you. Let me give you an illustration what it means to mirror an image. Several years ago, we had an opportunity to go to Switzerland. We were in Switzerland, and we were on, in this little town called Montreux, which is outside of Geneva, but it's right on Lake Geneva. And the hotel that we were at was right on the lake. And it was one of those days that it was like 65 degrees, and the flowers were blooming, and you looked across the lake, and the lake was like a sheet of glass. And you looked across, and the French Alps were on the other side, and they were snow-capped. And it was like, and I'm thinking, if heaven's better than this, Man, can you imagine how great it's going to be? You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes you think that heaven's going to be a letdown. I'm looking at that going, man, I don't know. If it's better than this, it's going to be awesome. That's all i got to tell you, because this was awesome. So we're walking along the lake, and, and, and we, we kind of took a jog and came back, and we took our cameras out, and we were taking pictures. And we took a picture across the lake, and the Alps were in the background. And you take a picture across the lake. And it was so clear, and it was so beautiful, so gorgeous. The sky is blue, the, the, the mountains are behind there, the snow-capped mountains. The, the water was like a sheet of glass. And you take this picture, and when we got them developed, the most interesting thing happened. If you've ever taken a picture at, with a lake in the, in the foreground and something in the background, it was so clear, the lake, that you took it and you looked at it. And you could flip that thing upside down, and you couldn't tell which ones were the real mountains and which one was the reflection. Is that awesome? Now think about this as an illustration. When our marriages mirror or reflect the image of God, you can't tell sometimes what's real and what's not real, what's primary and what's secondary. But the moment that you throw a rock and skip it across the surface of that lake and you break up that sheet of glass, so to speak, and you break up and distort that image, what happens is this. The mountains don't change. Those mountains, the Alps don't change. But what changes is the reflection of those mountains. See, and when your marriage, in our marriage, when we're throwing stones on it, and when we're out of sync with how we're supposed to reflect the image of God, that's called sin. That's what it is. I mean, people don't like to hear that word today. We try to come up with all kind of neat, cute little sayings for it, like we missed the mark or we're not doing what God wants. And you know what? It's just sin, plain and simple. It's doing what God says not to do, and we do it anyway. It's rebellion against God. It's not doing what God called us to do. It's not doing what God desires to do. It's plain and simple, ugly sin. And what that ugly sin does is it distorts the reflection and distorts the character of God. God doesn't change. Because your marriage is messed up, because your disobedience to God and his purposes for being married doesn't change who God is. All that it will do is it'll change and distort people's image of God because you may be the only person that they know that calls himself a Christian and they look at your life and say, you know what, you're a hypocrite. Think about this. How many people have you known that have said, and I know before I became a Christian, I would look at lives of people who claim to be Christians and say, hey, you know what, they're hypocrites. I see the way they are with some groups, and I see they are with the other group. 
I see him going to church on Sunday, and then I see him living like hell the rest of the week. So, you know what, who are you kidding? You are a hypocrite. Or you hear a person say, you know what, I went to church yesterday, and, uh, you know, I visited his church, and no one said hi to me. Everybody ignored me. Everybody blew me off like I didn't even exist. No one said a word to me. And you know what they're saying? They're saying that even as a non-believer, even if someone that doesn't understand or know God, what they're saying is, you know what, though? But I have a good idea what that person, that Christian, is supposed to be like. What they're supposed to be like is they're supposed to reflect the God they say they believe in. This is critical that we understand this because it's a major problem in our relationship with one another. And it's a major problem in our relationship with people outside of our marriage. Some of the biggest problems that we have today in reaching people around us with the love of God is because our marriages are so self-centered and selfish and screwed up that people are watching it saying, you know what, there's nothing attractive about that. There must not be anything attractive about the God they say they love. And the God they say they love must be kind of a puny little God because he can't even help them in their marriage. What's he going to do in the problems in my life? You see how far off we've gotten from the purpose of God? Does your marriage reflect the image of God? Or are you throwing stones and distorting what people see? Because we're too self-centered and selfish to be doing what God's called us to do. It's critical that we realize that. You know, and we also need to note something, too, is that God blessed them and he said, you know, and he created them male and female. You know what? Let's just get something straight. God created us male and female. And when a couple is married and they become one in the sight of God, the two of them together reflect the image of God. Male and female. I'm so sick of living in a world that's trying to homogenize the sexes. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm a man, you're a woman. That's the way God made it, and let's keep it that way. You know, what in the world is going on around us where guys want to become women and women want to become guys? Now, we may not go so far as to have our organs changed, but it's like there's this big identity crisis, what a man's supposed to be and what a woman's supposed to be. Well, stick around because I'm going to get into that in case you're kind of going through an identity crisis of some sort. <laughs> you know? And if you have to, stand naked in front of a mirror and say, I think God made me a man, and now I need to know what that means. Man, I mean, it's unbelievable to me how messed up we all are. And you know what? And this is the way this works. If you know what it means to be a man, then you'll be able to teach your sons how to grow up to become a man. And if you know what it means to be a woman, you'll be able to teach your daughters how to grow up to become a woman. That'll be so much fun. Because there's nothing worse than having a boy who wants to be a girl and a girl that wants to grow up to be a boy because their parents don't know what in the world they're all about. So let's come back sometime when we talk about it. Oh, and next week we're going to talk about what it means to be a husband. So I think I'll get into that boy thing. Okay, here we go. Anyway... All right, where are we going? Oh, okay, here we go. Let's, 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 let's go to this before I get in trouble. Oh, no, this will probably get me right in the middle of it. All right, here we go. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. You got your Bibles. Look at this. If you don't, I'll have it up here on the overhead. But here we go. Marriage number one. This purpose will help us to achieve the bigger purpose. Marriage is designed to provide companionship for a lifetime. Are you ready for this? The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now see, the Lord God formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he could na- that he would name them. 
And whatever the man named each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Look at what God did here. He said, okay, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. It was, it's a great, because everything that God did up to that point was great. Hey, this is good. Everything he made was good. And he made man. He said, you know what, though? But there's one thing that's not good. That is that this man is alone. But see, the man, because men are slow, that's the way we are. So what he did was he said, well, how am I going to help this man understand it's not good for him to be alone? Because he thinks he needs his private time. So, you know, he said, you know, I just need, he needed some space. But God said, well, he needs his space, but I've got to help him understand that, you know, he needs something bigger than space. So he gets all these animals and he brings them to him. He says, hey, Adam, I got this little project for you. And we, you know, we're going to be here a long time. You're going to live to 930, so we got some time. No, I don't know. He didn't say it. He said, okay, name these things. And so they all started coming by, and he started naming them, and he looked around, and you know what he found? Man, every one of them had, like, some, somebody just like them. They had a mate. They had a helper. They had, there was, like, these animals, and they all had companionship. And Adam didn't have any. And so God said, hey, you know what? You got a need here. You got a problem here. You are all alone, and now you know that because you just looked and saw that everything else that I created has companionship, but you don't have any. And he said, but for Adam, totally contrasting everything that he had just seen in front of him, but Adam, you are all alone, man. What are we going to do? And so there's all kind of jokes that have arisen about this situation. You know, and some people say that God and Adam got in this big negotiating thing, and, you know, and uh, Adam realized that he was all alone, and, and, and he said, hey, you know what, I, I need a companion like these animals, I need someone, and God said, well, that'll cost you an arm. Yeah, I said, an arm, I only got two of them, I mean, what are you going to do, I can't take my arm, I mean, he said, okay, well, what, you know, he said, well, then it'll cost you a hand. Adam goes, a hand, okay, I only got two hands, I mean, well, God, let me ask something, what can I get for a couple of ribs? <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what he said. Just seeing if you're still with me. All righty. Yeah, and you are. Okay, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, now think about this for a moment. Adam is knocked out. Cold. He goes to sleep alone. <laughs> yeah, see, some of you are way ahead of me. He goes to sleep alone, and he wakes up, and he looks at this woman, and she's standing before him, and he goes, whoa, man. Hey, you know what? Think about what you paid to get in here, all right? Before you go getting ugly on me. I said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she'll be called, whoa, man. For she was taken out of the man, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and a mother and be reunited, and united with his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I mean, man, can you imagine going to sleep alone, and you wake up, and you got this companion? And he goes, whoa, man. Now, I had a guy in one of my Bible study once who said this. Well, yeah, it's because he woke up, and she was standing there naked. He said, naked. So I said, well, well, yeah, she was naked, but you know what? They didn't even know they were naked until later on. His idea was kind of like, if I woke up and a naked lady was standing above me, I'd say, whoa, man, too. <laughs> no, 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 it didn't work that way because they didn't even know that they were naked until later on. 
And she said, whoa, man. You know, and let me, can I, here's a little exercise for you. No, seriously. When was the last time, hey, sir, you're married. When was the last time you looked at your wife and you said, whoa, man. <laughs> now, is that before she had her makeup on or after it, huh? What are we trying to say here? Whoa, man, I'll wait. Take as much time as you want. <laughs> now, that doesn't count. That's not what I'm talking about here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what they say. She's been married to you for 51 years? Well, you know what they say. You go into marriage with your eyes wide open, and then you stay married with your eyes half closed. So there you go. That's all I got to say. All right, hey, you know what? Let's not get too carried away, all right? I'll give you a couple outbursts and that's it. So you already hit your two outbursts. You got your two outburst limitation. I know you've been gone for a while and you're just back, but let's just pick up where we left off, all right? Let's have an understanding here. No, seriously. Do this. Do this. I dare you to do this. I dare you to take your wife and grab her, hold her hand, look into her eyes, and say, whoa, man. You know why I say that? Because when I was thinking about this, I thought about the first time that Linda and I met. We were in high school. And I remember walking into this room, and I remember thinking, whoa, man! And I, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was a lot more discreet about it. Probably they were like, oh, baby, 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 oh, 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 hey, 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 oh, 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 hey, oh, hey, 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 tell your friend to tell his friend to tell her friend that I'm thinking about her. No, you know, see, that's kind of like how we are, right? But it's like, man, I can, I mean, I still, you know what, and, and the reason I say this is because we need to understand something here. We need to understand a very serious point. Sometimes we get sick of your spouse. You can't even stand thinking about them. And you're upset with one another for whatever reason. Can I just challenge you to go back to the first time that you met and remember wow, what a thrill that it was? I mean, I know it was a thrill for me. And I know it doesn't even compare to the thrill it was for her. yeah. <laughs> Okay. But would you do that? I mean, think about it. God designed marriage to mirror his image. Man, and that's what, you know, think about all those things. To provide companionship. I mean, to think about being a, a companion for a lifetime. You know what's amazing to me is I think about, well, 51 years, our in-laws, 54 years, all the changes that go on in life. You know, I think about everything that happened in your period of time. And to realize you got the stability of the same person. I love this quote that I read the other day. Eddie Robinson was the coach of, is the coach of Grambling University. And he's the only coach in Division I history to win 400 football games. 400 games. And he accomplished it in 53 years of coaching. And he was asked about it. He, no one else. Hey, Bear Bryant, Amos Alonzo Stagg, the greatest football coaches that ever lived, didn't do what this man accomplished. 400 collegiate victories. And they went to him and they asked him, they said, you know what, man, I mean, this is such a significant accomplishment. You know what he said? He said, the number of wins really isn't that significant. In my mind, the real miracle is that for 53 years I've had only one job and I've had the same wife. 
Now, if you want to write about something that's an accomplishment, why don't you write about that? Wow. Isn't that great? One what? Football victories? Hey, that's not significant. No, I'm excited. Great. But I had a lot of good team. There were a lot of good players, a lot of good coaches, a lot of good administrators. I mean, there's been a whole bunch of people that contributed to that. But you know what? But I only had one wife behind me the whole time. That's awesome. He knows what it means to be committed to companionship for a lifetime. You know, some of us are committed but to the wrong things. You know, I like the couple. The story of a couple, an older couple, who wanted to go on an airplane ride. Never been on an airplane ride. They were celebrating a wedding anniversary. So the pilot said, well, that'll cost you 100 bucks. I'll take you up and we'll go around. And he goes, oh, no, $100. I don't have $100. He said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal because these people are chatters, right, talkers. He said, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you two up to celebrate your anniversary. You've got to make me one promise that you don't say a word while we're flying around. So he said, okay, we can do that. The guy goes, no problem. I'll commit to that. So they get in the plane. They fly around for about an hour and they land on the ground and they're getting out of the plane and and the, the pilot goes, I can't believe that you did it. And the guy goes, hey, you know what? There was one time I felt like hollering. He goes, why? I don't remember ever hitting any turbulence or anything. When did you feel like yelling? He goes, well, wait, you know, probably about 30 minutes ago when Mama fell out of the plane. <laughs> but, hey, hey, you made a commitment. You know what it meant to be committed to something. I'm not saying it was the right thing, but sometimes that happens. Anyway, let's move on. <clears throat> All right. Companionship for a lifetime. All right, let me, let me, let me turn to a, ser- a very, very serious note. Because if your marriage is to reflect the image and the glory of God, can I just share something with you that, that I have found in, in my relationship with other people and that's a major concern? And that as there are so many people in the world we live in who are so uncertain about their relationship with God, and you know why? <laughs> because we don't see any kind of example of the type of commitment that he says he makes to us when we put our trust and faith in him. We don't see commitment. We don't see loyalty. We don't see companionship for a lifetime. And I want to tell you something. I believe that many people struggle with their identity as far as their relationship with God is concerned. Because the institution, the primary institution that he founded, marriage, commitment for a lifetime, was established to reflect his image, to reflect his character, to reflect his commitment to his people when he makes a promise. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... Just as it is written, for thy sake we are, beca- we are being put to death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who has loved us. And I am convinced of this, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do you think that it is that we think that God will bail on us when we make a mistake? Why do you think that it is that people walk and struggle on a daily basis of, you know, I see people all the time, I pray to receive Christ today, but you did it yesterday. Well, I'm going to do it again tomorrow, and I'm going to do it again the next day, and I'm going to do it again. Why? 
Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that he means it when he says that, that he'll, I become a child of his. I'm not sure that he really means it because I'm going to make a mistake and I'm afraid that all of a sudden I'm not going to be a child anymore of God and I'm not going to have a relationship with God and it's going to be different and it's going to be severed and I'm going to screw it up. Could you imagine men and women having children that every day come to you and say, are you still my mom and dad today? I spilled my milk. Are you still my mom and dad? I got a D on my report card. Are you still my mom and dad? I fumbled the football in the game. Are you still my mom and dad? I screwed up. I made a mistake. Are you still my mom and dad? It's no wonder the kids are screwed up and they don't understand who God is and how God loves them for all of eternity. It's no wonder that we don't understand who God is and it's not based on our performance, but it's based on what Jesus did and all we need to do is accept Him and believe Him and trust Him. It's no wonder why, because we got a generation of people that are running around saying, hey, you know what, I hate to say this, but I'll still be your daddy, but I just won't be living in this house anymore. I'm moving to New Jersey. But why, Dad, what did I do? Oh, it's not you. Your mom and I don't get along anymore. Do you see what it does to our perception of God and the God who says He's committed to us for all of eternity? We don't understand that because we don't see it. We need to recognize our greatest purpose in marriage is to reflect the commitment that God has for us for all of eternity. Even when we make a mistake and even when we blow it, we confess our sins. He's faithful, just, He forgives us. We're still a child of God. There's nothing in the Bible anywhere that'll tell you that you somehow or another can mess that relationship up to where He doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. It's not there. But our culture tells us it's there. Why? Because everything's so conditional. We need to realize that, you know what? God created marriage for, for companionship for a lifetime. Why? So that it reflects His image. It reflects His commitment to us. And it, we also then can teach our children, not only is there a commitment involved, but also it says that there's a suitable helper who compliments us. Have you ever seen the movie Rocky, the first movie Rocky that came out? Man, that was a classic. It was, it was a great movie. So they start messing it up with all the sequels. You know how they do that. But Rocky was a great movie. And you remember Rocky? I mean, Rocky fell in love with a gal named Adrian. Hello, Adrian. I think he fell in love with Adrian. And Adrian had a brother named Polly, and Polly was a messed up kind of a guy who worked in a meatpacking company who wanted to go out and make some extra money, kind of collecting bad debts for a loan shark. And Adrian was a really, she was a plain looking woman. That's probably the best way to put it. She was just plain. She had a hat on, she had long hair and the glasses, and just plain. And, you know, she just was plain. And Rocky fell in love with her. And Polly said, I, I don't see it, Rock. Rocky said, but. Well, you know what? It's, what do you see in her? He goes, well, well, she has gaps, and I got gaps. He said, what? He goes, I got gaps, and she got gaps. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, she fills my gaps, I fill her gaps. Together we fill our gaps. That's what I see in her. And I don't know who wrote that script, but I like it. You know Why? Because he's saying, I'm missing something without her. And she's missing something without me. And when we're together, we're not missing nothing. You see how it works? 